Welcome. So good to be with you on this Wednesday as we get together for a little midweek Bible study and devotional time. And I'm so glad that you've taken some time out of your week, out of your day, uh, to join us to do just that, to dig into God's Word and hopefully be uplifted and challenged and encouraged by what He has to say to us. You know, there's a lot of interesting stories in the Bible, and um, they're in there for a myriad of different reasons. They, you know, first and foremost, show us who God is and, and what He's about. And certainly as we parlay that into the New Testament, they show us who Jesus is, God in the flesh and what he is all about. And one of those stories that, that sticks out to me and always has kind of fascinated me for a number of different reasons is a story that we find in Mark chapter 8. And it, here's what Mark writes in, in verses 22 through 25. It says, they came, Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him, to heal him. It's because Jesus was known for doing that, right? And so he took the blind, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, which again, as I, when I was little, I used to love this story because I was like, oh, Jesus spit, you know, and, and anyways, we won't get into all that, but he spits in the man's eyes, Mark tells us, which is in and of itself kind of a crazy detail and put his hands on him. And Jesus asked him, do you see anything? He looked up, the man looked up and said, I see people but they look like trees walking around. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. It really is a, a an interesting story. And there's several things going on. I alluded to a couple of those things. But the first question that comes to mind, and perhaps the most important question, I think, is why does it take Jesus so, you know, two two times to touch this man before he heals him. Why, why, why is this blind man healed in not not just in one touch or in one command, but but in, in a couple of different stages? You know, in pretty much every healing that we read about in 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 scripture that Jesus does, uh, the healing is is instantaneous. Uh, one touch from Jesus is really all it takes, or even just a word from Jesus. In fact, in some cases, Jesus doesn't even have to be there to bring a healing. But in this story, it takes a couple of touches, a couple of stages. Why is that? Well, how about we start off by noting the one thing that we can say the text is definitely not teaching, and that is that this two-stage healing doesn't imply that Jesus somehow failed at his first attempt or, or that he's somehow inadequate or unable or incapable of healing this man in one fell swoop or in, in, in one touch. Of course, you know, that being said, at another level, the answer to why the healing took two steps is quite obvious, right? Because that's how it actually happened, right? And so Mark records exactly what happened, and that's exactly what happened. Of course, that doesn't fully answer the question, so that's what we want to look at uh, for the rest of our time this evening. Why? You know, why, why did Jesus, if we're going to look back at this event that truly did happen, right? That's why Mark records it. Why does the, the healing take place in this way? And, and does Mark, the, the, this spirit-inspired narrator of these events, give us any clues in answering this question in other parts of his text? Well, let's, let's go just a couple of, uh, of chapters earlier. In Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, we're told that Jesus could only do a few miracles in his hometown because of a lack of faith in the people there, and specifically a lack of faith in, in who Jesus was. Elsewhere, Jesus clearly conditions healings and answers to petitions with the caveat that the person's faith 
plays a role in the healing. Now, that's not to say that Jesus can't perform miracles where there is inadequate or non-existent faith. Jesus can do whatever he wants with as little or as much faith as is present. But most of the miracles in his earthly ministry correspond to the faith of that person. As the author of Hebrews similarly reminds us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And Jesus seems to be operating out of that idea. And so there was, you know, sorry, so was there, is my question, was there some inadequacy in the faith of the blind man that resulted in the the two-step process or the delay in his healing? Well, if there was, Mark doesn't seem to give us any indication. So that perhaps isn't the case, but a noteworthy observation nonetheless. Elsewhere in, in Mark, in, in Mark chapter 5, we do see a, a similar delayed response to Jesus's authoritative presence. As, as Jesus approaches a man who is terrorized by demons, we're told that Jesus uh, had been saying to him, and I don't know exactly how that, how that process would have worked, but Mark just tells us that he had been saying to him, come out of, or out of the, to the demons, come Come out of the man, you impure spirit. That's what Jesus was saying to him. What happens next, though, is, is not the immediate fulfillment of Jesus's words, which would have been the forced departure coming out of the demons, but rather what follows is a dialogue between Jesus and and and, and the man, but really the, the demons that are possessing that man. Now, eventually Jesus drives the evil spirits out of the man and actually drives them into a herd of pigs who end up jumping off the side of a cliff and drowning, uh, which is, you know, another fascinating detail in and of itself. But, but why does... I guess the question is, why does Mark report the episode in, in Mark chapter 5 in, in this way? I mean, he could have easily just kind of condensed the narrative, right? But perhaps the gradual unfolding of events highlights a couple of things. One, it, it highlights the enemy that he is facing. It's not to discount Satan's ultimate work and demonic work in this man in particular. And so it's kind of highlighting in some ways the enemy that Jesus faces, and yet at the same time emphasizing the strength of Jesus's enemy conversely magnifies even further the power of Jesus's triumph over that enemy. And so it's highlighting Jesus's work and the power that he um that he portrays and, and, and that he is contained within him, right? He is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. And so you parlay to that to our story in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark chapter eight, maybe in unfolding slowly for his readers, the healing of this blind man, Mark is painting for us an unforgettable and dramatic reversal of the man's disability. The, the formerly blind man isn't just left with severe nearsighted and nearsightedness, right? As, as some maybe faith healing charlatans of that day might have done, but his sight is perfectly restored to pristine clarity, which makes me realize and remember that no ancient faith healer or modern eye surgery can compare with the clarity and the fullness of the physical restoration that Jesus brings. But perhaps there's something even more intended by this story, because I think Mark also sees, no pun intended, in Jesus's two-stage miracle, this healing of this blind man in two stages, a, a parable for the spiritual blindness of the disciples. Mark's gospel isn't just a random collection of stories about Jesus, but rather he provides structural 
features to help his readers interpret these individual accounts and stories that he's telling you. And so you can see that reality throughout Mark's gospel in, in, in different places. Uh, but specifically, we're, we're dealing with this section here in, in, in Mark chapter 8. And in the account which immediately precedes the healing of the blind man, Jesus has pointedly asked his disciples, Do you have eyes but fail to see? And do you have ears but fail to hear? He asks them that very question, and often, oftentimes that's synonymous, right, with understanding and, and knowledge and, and, and opening not just our, our physical eyes, but being able to open our mind to see the realities. And so to instantly follow these words with the account of a man who literally has his eyes, you know, shut, you know, he, 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 well, he doesn't have them shut. He, he has eyes, but he can't see, right? That's not an accident on Mark's part. Further, the story about the two-stage healing or two-part healing comes right before Jesus begins to, to really lay out for his disciples just what he came to do as the Messiah. And so over the next two and a half chapters after this, we see this, this three times repeated pattern. One, Jesus predicts his death and he talks about his death and what the Messiah came to do. Secondly, we see the disciples misunderstand the nature of his Messiahship and the nature of true discipleship in general. And three, Jesus teaches that true discipleship is costly and it involves suffering on his own and anyone who would follow him as well. And through this repeated literary structure, Mark reminds us that the disciples have, at least at this historical juncture, right, a partial and and un, not fully formed understanding of both Jesus's ministry and what it means to follow him. In a sense, they they see his ministry with this, you know, severe nearsightedness, like people walking around with trees, right? Like like trees, like the man uh, in, in in the story. And so rather than seeing Jesus as, you know, what, what Isaiah chapter 53 paints as the suffering servant, right? That, that he tells us, the, that the prophet tells us about. They, the disciples, have quite a few misconceptions. And so we can see this parallel here uh, with, with the blind man to their own spiritual blindness, right? And Mark seems to be, implying that it's not just the man who needs a second touch, but it's also the disciples who need a second touch when it comes to their spiritual blindness through Jesus's teaching and ministry so that they might see more clearly who he is and why he came. You know, as modern readers of this story, I think we can draw some implications from it as well. First, Jesus rightly commands us to come to him in faith, right? trusting in his power, trusting in his goodness, trusting in his love. We must believe him and, and worship him as the one true God and Lord over all, including our own lives. And whether that results in a supernatural changing of our situation, or our circumstances, or simply the grace to endure whatever it is that we may be facing. And moreover, when we read and think on the stories about Jesus in the Gospels, our faith grows as we see the power and the goodness and the love of God displayed in and through Christ. And then lastly, I would just point out that we must remember that physical healing and spiritual growth are not often instantaneous. In fact, they're, they're the opposite oftentimes. We must hold tightly to Jesus, continuing to look to him to meet our physical and spiritual needs. And the answers to our prayers may come quickly sometimes, right? Or they may not, right? They may come in stages after some waiting patiently, hard, hard. It's hard to wait patiently, but it may take that. Jesus is working in us and on us in that waiting. Or ultimately, they may not come at all. In this life and that's the hard part but we do trust that at one point they will come whether in this life or in the next but regardless of when they do come 
May we always remember that in all things, God's grace is sufficient. And I hope you hold on to that. Hope you have a blessed week. God bless.